0: The David Pakman Show at DavidPakman.com.
1: We've been talking about what might Donald Trump do on his way out of office? Will he just retreat to one of his resorts at Thanksgiving or at Christmas and never come back to Washington, D.C.? Will he do anything about the raging coronavirus pandemic? The one thing we did not necessarily think of was would Trump bomb somebody on the way out of office? Would Trump attack another country? And indeed, last week, Donald Trump was looking at, hey, maybe I will bomb. Iran. And I will talk to you about this in a moment. This reminds me of the conversation we've had over the last four years, which thankfully are coming to an end very, very soon about, yes, Trump is a lazy piece of whatever. And he golfs more than anyone and he watches TV all day and all this stuff. But at the same time, when Donald Trump does something, it's usually bad. So are we better off? with Donald Trump doing nothing. And this is sort of an example of that. As recently as last Thursday, Donald Trump went to advisers and said, what options do I have for bombing Iran's main nuclear site in the next few weeks? Four days ago, Donald Trump was considering bombing Iran in his remaining weeks in office. Now, why was Donald Trump asking about this? Well, because of a situation of his own creation, international inspectors have reported an increase in the nuclear material stockpile in Iran and reportedly everybody in the room with Trump which is shocking because there were some pretty horrible people in the room like Mike Pence. Reportedly, everybody in the room told Donald Trump this was a, a, a bad idea. Vice President Mike Pence was in the room. A horrible, depraved secretary of state Mike Pompeo was in the room. Um, Christopher C. Miller, the acting defense secretary, was in the room. General Mark Milley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, was in the room. And they all said even yes, even Mike Pence, who's out of his mind, this might cause a bigger conflict. This isn't a bad idea. This might end up with you leaving office in the middle of an absolute mess that your name will be attached to. And they reportedly discussed options of a missile attack or a cyber attack. And when the meeting was over, officials reportedly felt they had talked Trump out of the missile attack idea, at least for the time being. But Donald Trump continues to be interested in some kind of attack on Iran, maybe cyber. It's incredible what Barron is doing with computers these days. That would be one one aspect of it. Maybe attacking Iranian allies in Iraq as an example. Trump's still interested in this. Now, the position of Trumpists on this Iran issue and Trump considering bombing them is completely incoherent because they are choosing to say only, "Look, Iran is developing nuclear material." And um, that's bad. And so we should go after them. But to really understand this, you need to go back to the basics on the issue. Now, I want to I don't know that I need to do this, but because it's been a while since we talked about Iran, I I feel like I should issue a disclaimer of sorts. I am no Iran apologist. And in fact, um, if if you know, I don't think uh, Iran should have a nuclear weapon. We can talk more broadly about whether anybody should. But today. I don't think Iran should have a nuclear weapon. Who am I to say it? Right. But I don't think they should have one. Um, I, I don't find Iran particularly trustworthy, etc. If you've been watching my show, you know, I am no defender of the Iranian regime. But this situation is Trump's fault. Iran is acting rationally, given the circumstances. Now, you might be saying how oh, Trump's how could it be Trump's fault that Iran has nuclear material? Remember that we had a deal with Iran, the Iran nuclear deal forged during the Obama administration while we were in the deal. Iran allowed all of the inspections that they were committed to allowing as part of the deal. There was no evidence from inspectors that they were violating the deal. This doesn't mean anything about trusting Iran more broadly. All it means is there was a deal Iran stuck to its end of the bargain based on the inspections that were taking place, which they allowed as part of the deal. Donald Trump comes into office and just gets out of the deal. He cancels it. He 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 voids the deal. This is one of the worst things you can do in geopolitics and foreign policy, which is without anybody having done anything wrong. You come in and just because you don't like your predecessor, in this case, Trump doesn't like Barack Obama you get out of the deal. You cancel a deal your predecessor made for domestic political reasons that have nothing to do with whether the parties stuck to the deal. This immediately destroys the credibility of the United States as a negotiating partner now and in the future. Iran did what they were committed to doing, and Trump came in and said, we're voiding the deal. Now, at the time, I and many others said, you know, with without defending Iran, this is now inviting Iran to start stockpiling nuclear material and advancing their research. Why wouldn't Iran do that? If you understand geopolitics and history, you know that when countries give up their nuclear programs, things often don't go that well for them in the following years. And when you take away the incentive for an Iran not to do it, they would logically start doing it again either to have something to negotiate with in the future to be able to say, okay, here's something we would be willing to stop in order to get things geopolitically or because they just believe they would be better off having a nuclear program. So the expectation of anybody who understood what was going on was when Trump canceled the deal that Iran would start accumulating material and resume its nuclear program. Why the hell wouldn't they do it? So that happens to some degree. And now Trump says, well, maybe I should bomb them. They're not allowed to do that. Well, we had a deal they were sticking to, which you canceled for no reason whatsoever. And so to understand this, you have to understand that it is a problem that Donald Trump precipitated. And the question becomes now with we're we're 10 weeks to go in the Trump presidency. Now what? Well, hopefully Donald Trump will hold off on any action, any attack on Iran. Hopefully when Joe Biden is sworn in, he can put some kind of a deal back together with Iran. But the problem, as we already know, is that Iran will be skeptical of a future deal and they are right to be skeptical because any deal they make might just be voided by the following president. They could spend years adhering to the deal, giving up what they would see as development of nuclear that that would give them leverage in future negotiations. And they do it all to see the next Republican president come in and say, I don't like Joe Biden's deal. I'm going to get the hell out of it. So if I were Iran, I would be skeptical based on how Donald Trump has behaved. I hate to turn them into the right ones to be skeptical because we also have every right to be skeptical and careful when we're dealing with Iran. But because of what Donald Trump has done, Iran has every right to be skeptical of the United States. And if I were them. I absolutely would be so total disaster. And Trump may still get another bombing done before he ultimately leaves office. Let's hope it doesn't happen. OK, I want to talk about um, sort of a broader issue that is going to be facing the United States um, for many years to come. And I'm glad that more people are talking about there's more discussions. There's more articles talking about the reality. That there is a far bigger problem than Donald Trump and that the problem is the Republican Party and Republican voters and Trump ism. And I've been teasing that this is something we're going to have to deal with for a while. This is something we've already been talking about for some time in our discussions about how before the election I was saying win or lose, there will still be more than 70 million. Well, we thought it might only be 60 something million. It turns out there will be 72 million Trumpists in the country even when Trump is gone. And we have to understand why they are the bigger problem than Donald Trump. And you can sort of think about it this way without a President Trump or a candidate Trump back in 2015, 2016, the American right wing would still be riddled with all of the bad ideas and xenophobia and delusions that they are today. Trumpism would still exist. We just wouldn't be calling it Trumpism without Republican voters willing to elect Trump. A candidate like Donald Trump would never have gotten anywhere. And case in point, if Donald Trump had run in the Democratic primary, he would have had no shot of winning that primary because Democratic voters would never fall for something like Donald Trump. Uh, but the Republican voter did fall for it. And Ann Applebaum did a very interesting interview on Ezra Klein's podcast, which you can find online, where they talk about this in some detail. And what Ann Applebaum and Ezra Klein discuss is the reality that Trump is the less interesting figure historically, but that the ease and speed with which the Republican Party, including its top elected officials, just bowed down to Donald Trump is what really should scare us about the future of the country. We talked about the rare exceptions, you know, Mitt Romney, the late John McCain, some others who are and were Republicans, but they didn't approve of Donald Trump's brand of politics. But these people were few and far between. And a number of different things came together at the exact right time to sort of propel Trump to power and ultimately have the entire party wrapped around his finger. Trump is someone who at many other times in American history would not have been able to win a Republican primary, but you had a sort of perfect storm. You had a Republican Party that essentially stopped having a platform in the sense that, okay, they came to they claim to be about small government but their platform on many issues is just do nothing, just oppose what Democrats want to do. Democrats, the the party of doing stuff, Republicans, increasingly the party of not doing stuff as a platform. You then combine that with this reflexive rejection of Barack Obama, partially motivated by racism, part part of it motivated by the fact that he was a half black president and then part of it motivated by you know, irrational smears of so-called socialism and communism. And you add to that what is a fundamentally authoritarian friendly political movement. That is the American right. It's authoritarian friendly. They are fine with authoritarianism as long as it's their authoritarianism, as long as it's about being authoritarian towards immigrants or gay people or those looking for abortions or countries that believe themselves to be on equal footing with the United States and have a valid opinion. Uh, as valid as that of the United States. They're fine with authoritarianism towards that. And when we look at the Republican movement for so-called freedom and liberty over the last many years, what they're really talking about is freedom for the big and powerful or whoever has the guns. Right. Pick your version of it to do whatever they want to the small and weak, whoever doesn't have the guns to the s hole countries to whoever. OK. And this is reflected in some policy, but primarily it's been reflected in the desire for the right to just get in the way of government doing anything under the guise of saying when the government does things, it's socialism, it's communism, it's Marxism. And you had a two step radicalization that Donald Trump created and benefited from. And this is an important point to understand. Trump was both the cause of. And the beneficiary of the radicalization of the Republican Party. Step one was Trump correctly identified or his advisors did or Stephen Miller. Right. It was identified by the Trump campaign that his completely bogus, vapid rhetoric, which wasn't even really about anything specific, um, would appeal to a large group of Republicans. He can say things he'll do He can say he will do things that, of course, he never did health care, the wall, fixing trade, paying off the debt. So there were some allusions to policy. But you had a group that fell for the idea of Trump as a solution to the problems they wrongly believe exist. Now, remember that as the Republican voter was falling for Donald Trump, the establishment Republicans and some right wing media like Fox News, they resisted. They initially resisted. And you go back and you look at the things Ted Cruz said about Donald Trump, the things Marco Rubio, Rand Paul, Lindsey Graham, the things they said about Donald Trump initially, they were resisting the notion that Trump was the solution. The Republican voter was bamboozled first. But then step two was when the Republican voter fell for Trump, the establishment Republican Party fell almost completely in line with Donald Trump. I know there are a few exceptions. but. When the media fell in line and when Republican elected officials fell in line, it emboldened Trump. It legitimized Trumpism as a Republican platform, even though it is quite literally not a platform. It was about undoing what Barack Obama did. It was about angering the left, triggering the libs, as they like to say. So now we are left with this crisis beyond Donald Trump. And hopefully now it's clear why it doesn't get solved by Trump leaving, because most of it doesn't actually have to do with Donald Trump. Trump was the useful idiot at the right time to take advantage of it. Then Trump subsequently made Republican elected officials and right wing media useful idiots for his successful bamboozling of the Republican voter. And it doesn't get solved with Trump leaving. So this is now laying out the problem. The next step is starting to think about solutions. How do you massively deprogram 72 million cultists? Um, And we're going to continue talking about that. If you have thoughts about the solution part of it, or if you disagree with my assessment of the problem, let me know. I'm on Twitter at DPACMAN. The David PACMAN Show
0: at davidpacman.com.
1: You may not have known this, but when you see me sitting here on the show, I am often wearing shirts by a company called Teddy Stratford. I asked them to be a sponsor because they are by far my favorite shirts that I own with almost all other slim fit button up shirts I've worn. You get this annoying stretched out gap in the chest where the buttons are, which does not look good. But what makes Teddy Stratford shirts unique is this patented zipper that's hidden underneath the buttons, which actually prevents the chest from looking weird and stretched out like that. It looks really good. And just all around, they cut the entire shirt in a specific way that makes your upper body look a lot better. It's just a much nicer and more stylish fit than you get from other shirts. And they hand make everything with 100 percent Egyptian cotton and flat felled seams, which means it's going to be a lot more durable than other shirts and last a lot longer which I really love. Go check them out at davidpacman.com/teddy. The link is in the podcast notes and they'll give you 15% off your first order if you use the coupon code PACMAN at checkout. That's P A K M A N. If you love feeding your intellectual curiosity, but you're always struggling to find the time, check out one of my all time favorite apps called Blinkist Blinkist lets you consume an entire book on your way home from work. They take thousands of popular nonfiction books, condense each one into text or audio that you can get through in just 15 minutes and you get all of the important core ideas and information from that book. It's perfect if you don't have enough time to do all the reading you want to do or if you just want to sample a book before you buy the entire thing. I recently read a brief history of time, of course, by the great Stephen Hawking. This is a book that I have been aware of for so long and other things got in the way and it was fantastic to check it out on Blinkist. Blinkist has books on politics, philosophy, science. They have 27 different nonfiction categories, and a subscription is only about eight bucks a month, and you get access to the entire library. But you can try it totally free and get 25% off a subscription when you go to slash pacman. That's B L I N K I S tcom pacman.
0: The David Pacman
1: Show at DavidPacman.com. I have some absolute must-see TV for you today. I want to bring you just one critical analysis of a single person claiming voter fraud. And the reason I'm going to do this is that very often when we hear about the supposedly endless good just gobs of people claiming voter fraud, proving that Joe Biden didn't really win, we might think. Well, there must be something to it, right? I mean, countless affidavits, as they are talking about these. These must really be something if there are so many of them. And often when this happens, what you have to do, it's much like when someone gish gallops you during a debate, meaning throwing 10, 12, 14 different arguments at you until you slow down and look at each arguments merits one by one. It can seem like there's a case. So let's do the equivalent here. Let's look at just one of these claims of voter fraud, bearing in mind that this one presumably is one that is more credible because Fox News chose this uh, person whose video I'm going to play for you in a moment as the person to bring on TV. So this is Melissa Carone. This is a supposed whistleblower. Imagine calling her that after you watch this video. And Melissa Caron was brought on to Fox News. Actually it was Fox Business, not Fox News. Fox Business is the less watched sister channel to Fox News. And Melissa Caron was interviewed by Lou Dobbs. Now I'm not going to give you any more. Let's just start watching and hear the explosive story of voter fraud or fraud, as Trump says, claimed by Melissa Caron. This is one of the people who signed one of these powerful affidavits testifying to the voter fraud. My challenge to you is follow the story. I challenge you to follow her story. Take a look.
2: Uh, let me start with the, the most egregious part of what I read in uh, your of your affidavit. Multiple counts of the same ballots. How did that
3: happen?
4: So the workers are handed uh, ballots in stacks of 50s. Um, they are referred to as batches and they run mm-hmm. them through the tabulators. When the ballot has any kind of a mark on it, it'll stop, the The tabulator will stop completely and the computer will put up an error and it'll say, you know, uh, ballot number 25 has an error. and Right. So the right. process would be to take ballot number 25, as well as all of the other ballots that had already went through the tabulator, off, put them right. back in a pile, put ballot number 25 on top of the stack, discard the whole batch, and rescan it.
2: And that's, and instead, they went through that process several times. So, <laughs>
1: What one of the funniest parts of this interview is listening to Lou Dobbs try to understand what on earth this woman is talking about. Certainly it's unclear to me what she's talking about. I'm guessing it's unclear to you, but it's unclear even to Lou Dobbs, who booked this interview for his show. So so far we have no smoking gun, not even really an allegation of a smoking gun so far. It's we we've heard about, you know, nothing really. And this continues and it becomes even more laughable, if you can imagine. And when Lou Dobbs asks Melissa Caron to talk about the night shift and the food delivery vans, it goes completely off the rails
2: Uh the describe the night shift chaos that you described, uh, uh, food, uh, food vans apparently showing up, but not with food. but with uh, ballots uh, apparently. Uh, give us a sense of what
4: happened there. So there, um, So I worked a 24-hour shift. Um, I started at 6 a.m. and I right. got off at 6 p.m. or 6 a.m. Uh, the next day. Um, so I started at 6 a.m. November 3rd, got off at 6 a.m. November 4th. So I was there during their day shift and their night shift. Um, the city provides the workers with food for their shift. Well, they only had enough food for right. one-third of their workers. Oh, so that is the reason why they were claiming that these vans were were brought in. But these vans did not have food it, 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 taken out of them.
1: So here is where it looks like Lou Dobbs starts to realize why am I interviewing this woman right now? What what the hell is this about? And it gets even more funny. Guys, the vans didn't have enough food. Listen to Lou Dobbs. Just try to make sense of this. And he can't. He's visibly struggling.
4: But these vans did not have food taken out of them.
2: And the vans, the vans that showed up, uh, they were supposed to be filled with food. What did what did they have in them?
4: Do you know? I never saw anything being brought out of the vans. I know that whatever was being brought out of the vans was being brought out of the back of the vans. But um, I was not allowed over in that area at all. But the vans were definitely not big enough to be carrying enough food for two
1: thirds of those workers. Don't you understand, guys, in the middle of a 24 hour shift, Melissa Carone saw vans show up. She doesn't know what was in the vans. She saw nothing but is sure that the vans did not have food for two thirds of the workers. And and what? So what? Watch Lou Dobbs then try to wrap this up with Melissa Carone. Well, it's all very suspicious.
2: Uh, It is very clear that you have witnessed uh, highly irregular uh, activities uh, in that counting session. And David, I want to turn to you uh, how well
1: protected is uh, is Melissa Lou Dobbs? They're able to say only that it is suspicious and irregular <laughs> what she saw. But why? What, what's so suspicious here? So understand how many layers removed we are from any allegations that something was actually going wrong here. They want to go to I saw vans, but not what was in them at strange times of day without food for everyone. They want to go from that to the results in Michigan must be fraudulent and Trump really won. What? And as you can imagine, Fox News and Fox Business did not continue interviewing these affidavit signers because it went really, really poorly. They switched instead to interviewing you know, Trump's lawyers, Sidney Powell, and uh, continuing to interview Rudy Giuliani, interviewing Trump campaign staffers. It's almost a joke. Like if Saturday Night Live were to make a skit of this, it would be this. There's the, you it's indistinguishable from parody. Listen, I was in there. They had no kosher meal for the poll workers. They had no vegan meal. For the vegan poll workers. It's very suspicious, Lou. Well, that's certainly a highly irregular, Melissa. It's crazy that these are the people that they are basing their allegations of voter fraud on. Whacked. She was not invited back. I don't think it will. uh, It will surprise you. Let's now keep talking a little bit about what we've been seeing on Fox News. So this is very interesting Um, uh, what I've been on Fox News before. And when I was on Fox News, I was interviewed by a guy named Leland Vittert and um, Leland Vittert, at least typically I don't know his personal politics, but he certainly plays a right winger on Fox News. He's no friend of the left. When I was interviewed on Fox News uh, by Leland Vittert, I was opposite some right wing radio host, but it very quickly became the right wing radio host and Leland Vittert Against me, no problem. I expected it. Okay, it's none of that is notable. But Leland Vitter is not our friend. But over the weekend, Leland Vitter kind of flipped out on a Trump campaign flunky who refused to explain where would Trump get the votes to flip the multiple states he needs to flip to win this election. And the first part of this video I'm going to play for you is where it starts to heat up. Because Leland very astutely points out, you know, you vaguely talked about hundreds of thousands of votes in Pennsylvania. You throw out these numbers. But in terms of what you're actually contesting, what is Donald Trump's path to victory? What happened with these votes and what exactly could happen to give Donald Trump a victory? Aaron Perini is a Trump campaign staffer, director of press communications. She can't answer the question or won't answer the question. And it starts to heat up. Take a look. What do you want to have happen with those 700,000 votes? The ballots are already mixed in. Do you just That's want 700,000
5: votes the question deducted on. from, from Biden's total? We want to make sure total? that conversation happens. You're trying to say
6: this is done and over. The media I'm not. I'm, a- say I'm this not saying not done and done over. But I'm but asking you where here, you're going to find the votes to pull pa- ahead. Where are the votes to pull ahead? Forward- the, this is now my third time to try to get this answer out. The legal path ahead exists here because there are clear constitutional violations that ahead keep snarking. Okay, you know, so so your what
1: So you can repeat the phrase constitutional violations all day long. You still have to prove them. But what is the path for Trump to win is the question. Let's get back to it. And now cornered by a Fox News right winger. Never mind. Uh, you know, mind you. She switches to attacking Fox News. Aaron,
6: Rolling your Aaron, eyes, Leland. Aaron, take me through. I get it. I get it. Ha- you guys Aaron, years you're not trying to run up question. a Russia hoax against it. It's very simple. i trying what to say happens? this is over. How does the And the hypocrisy continues because you know what? How Hillary does the Clinton president said, said, don't concede to Joe Biden? What do you want to now happen everybody to 700,000 votes? That this is over for us. It's ridiculous. What do you want to happen to the seven? That what do you is want the court to decide, Leland?
1: So she again goes back to this idea that the court has to decide. I really want to again explain how this is a red herring. The court only has to decide anything if they have something to decide and they would only have something to decide if they find merit to the claims that are being made before the court. Courts have not found merit. They, meaning the Trump campaign, wants you to think until a a court and by the way, which court? Until a court has weighed in, they want you to think it's not over. Courts don't need to be involved in elections unless there's a reason for courts to be involved. And so far, courts have found that they don't need to be involved. Multiple lawsuits have been either thrown out or even retracted. So don't fall for that. Let's continue with the interview. Okay,
6: that is up for the court to decide, but we should be able to have the conversation no, about no, those votes when you're saying, trying to say this no, is done and over. No,
5: nobody's trying to say that. I'm just simply asking you. You guys keep calling
6: by, by President-elect. It sounds I don't like know you who guys you, are not saying it's guy, over.
5: I don't know who you guys are. Okay, you and I are having who, try, I'm trying to have a conversation with you. and I'm Erin Perini. You, I'm trying to ask you. President of the United States. You, I'm trying to ask you very simply, Where are you going to find the votes? You say we want to count every vote conceivably because you think that means you're going to pull ahead. Where are the votes in a path to 270? Where? We are taking every legal avenue
6: that exists in these states to make sure that legal votes are counted and illegal votes
1: are counted. So there, Aaron Perini actually slips up and says to make sure illegal votes are counted. She's not even able to keep track of her own arguments. But this really is the crux of it in these states that they are contesting, claiming that they are contesting, even if Donald Trump got his way, like even if there was a recount, even if there's some batch of votes that they are contesting, which was all for him instead of for Joe Biden. None of it would even overturn the election results. And this is what she continues to refuse to admit as it heats up even more.
6: Here's a question for you, Leland, for every Democrat and every talking head on the news. How much fraud is okay? How many dead people can vote and you're okay with that? How many ballots <laughs> are run through Am a machine okay multiple times and you're okay with that? No, it's a serious question. We want to protect election integrity in the United States. And we said for months that we wanted I, I, to make I'm sure a, every a, legal, a, legal I'm a, I'm vote when was you start counted you guys, and every illegal vote was lo- 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 not counted.
5: Who who are you lumping you everybody guys. together you, with, Aaron, You guys? Really? The media? The, the yeah, media? And, the media in general? So now it's just you just attack everybody if they don't agree with you. Okay. Um, no, that's not Not, not, what not I'm much doing not what else I'm to say. Uh, Erin, we, under, Aaron, we understand where you. You want, where you want to go with this. Thank you. We appreciate
1: your time. Jillian? Always. So that wraps up the segment, and there are, there are kind of a few different angles here. First is the continued hilarity of Trump is going after Fox for acknowledging reality. Trump's mad at Fox because Fox acknowledges Biden won. But at night, the nighttime Fox clowns are still parroting these ideas that the election was stolen by Joe Biden. Now, number two, how long can the Trump campaign keep doing this? One Pennsylvania lawsuit was over 40,000 votes, Biden won by 72000 in Pennsylvania. So again. Even if all of the contested ballots were to go for Trump, it still wouldn't change the result. And understand how radical things have gotten that a Fox News anchor simply reporting election results is considered an attack on Donald Trump. They claim everybody else are triggered snowflakes. But if you tell them, hey, these are the election results, they march on Washington, D.C., chanting Fox News sucks. It's almost like Fox News has radicalized these people so much that they are now too radical, even for Fox News, acknowledging, hey, we had an election and Joe Biden won. It's a horrifying reality that we live in. And we'll talk more about Fox's own role in this radicalization a little bit later. Uh, also, make sure that you're following us on Instagram for more on this at David Pacman Show. The David Pacman Show at
0: davidpacman.com.
1: One of our sponsors today is Lucy, and they are giving my audience 20 percent off. Lucy is a company founded by Caltech scientists with only one mission, which is to help people quit smoking and vaping by offering a clean, affordable nicotine alternative. Now, many of you know, you've heard the stories. I've known several people in my life who have struggled with quitting smoking. I've seen how difficult it can be. And nicotine alternatives can be hugely helpful. Lucy offers a nicotine gum in three flavors, wintergreen, cinnamon and pomegranate. They also have lozenges which come in cherry ice flavor. Lucy is affordable. It'll ship right to your door. You don't have to go out to the store. Shipping is always free. You can buy single boxes or save with a subscription. It's the year 2020. It's time to throw the cigarettes away and get rid of the vape. And Lucy can make it easier. You'll find a ton of excellent reviews online from countless people who have used Lucy to quit smoking and vaping. Go check them out at lucy.co. That's L U C Y.co. The URL is in the podcast notes, and you will get 20% off when you use the coupon code PacMan. Quick disclaimer I'm required to give these products contain nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical one of our sponsors is privacy.com. They're giving you $5 when you sign up for their completely free service at privacy.com slash Pacman. I've been using privacy for a little over a year now. You've heard me talk about it before. It's a lifesaver and here's how it works. Takes just a couple of minutes to set up. Anytime you buy something online or on the phone, instead of actually using your real credit card number, the privacy app and the browser plugin. Let you give each company a randomized virtual credit card number that you create out of thin air. It'll even autofill the card number with one click and the payment is taken out of your checking account without the merchant ever knowing your real information. So this allows you to keep your banking information secure, but also to take control of your finances. You can create up to 12 of these virtual credit cards a month. You can set spending limits. You can freeze them. You can delete them anytime you want. So when you do this, it means you're not going to be charged when you don't want to be because you can destroy the virtual card number right after using it, which for instance, I love using free trials because I know I won't be charged when the trial is over. If I use a virtual credit card number, you're keeping your identity private by not telling companies who you are. You're keeping your bank or credit card info protected against data breaches and identity theft and it's free. There's no catch whatsoever. But if you want privacy also offers a $10 a month plan that gives you 1% cash back and lets you create 36 credit cards a month and a $25 a month plan tailored more for small businesses where you can create 60 card numbers a month and much more. But definitely go ahead and at least get started with the free plan. You'll protect your financial info. Companies can't charge you unexpectedly. And like I said, you'll get $5 to spend when you sign up at privacy.com slash Pacman. Welcome back to the David Pacman show. Today we're going to be speaking with with uh, Ruth Ben Giat, who is an historian, New York University professor, an expert and uh, political commentator on fascism, authoritarian leaders and propaganda. Uh, And it feels like the right time to have this conversation, uh, Ruth.
7: Yeah, thanks for having me on.
1: So to start with, can you talk? I want to kind of go in order if it's possible. The first where I would like to start is what are the sort of conditions in a society that are the ripest for a strongman type to grasp control?
7: So it was really eye opening to me The the book goes over 100 years. And so I was looking for patterns and conditions that recur. And one of them, and this will fit America, too, in 2016. Um, these, these kinds of like strongmen appeal when there's been a period of great progress, uh, social progress. It could be gender emancipation, racial equity, um, workers' rights, and this destabilizes many people and makes them angry. And so these strongmen come up kind of saying, I'm going to turn the clock back. The other condition is polarization. And these leaders do everything they can to exacerbate that polarization because they need us to be each other's throats. And that helps people to be dependent on them and it helps them to build their cults of personality.
1: And so in a sense the, the, these are often reactive movements to prior changes or movements that that gain steam in society,
7: they are reactive, but Mussolini uh, said it best. He was a journalist. He was full of like good quips. Um, He said it was a revolution of reaction, because they also are very charismatic, many of them, and they're able to excite people uh, with the idea that they're promising something new. So Trump was very smart to make. It wasn't just, it was, of course, with the GOP, but it was a movement. And he had the red caps, like people want to be part of a tribe. And so it seemed very exciting to people. And this has been true of most of these leaders as well.
1: One of the things that's been interesting to me to see about the 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 movement, I guess, that we're now calling Trumpism is I did not identify anything novel that Donald Trump was sort of pushing on the Republican Party, but he was able to sort of just package the idea of his candidacy as the perfect place to kind of. Coalesce ideas that had been festering in the Republican Party for for a long time. Do you agree with that? And is that common or or not?
7: You stated perfectly what the what the process is. Every time these 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 men come up, and many of them have um, they're very savvy about media and marketing. Um, Mussolini was a journalist. Mobutu was a journalist. Hitler pri- Hitler took voice lessons, acting lessons, hypnotism lessons when he was trying to get to power. So they come up and they were a- they're able to um, coalesce and channel existing extremist, anti-democratic and other tendencies in society. And then they form this cult of personality around themselves and they give it form and they give it focus. And that's where the movement comes in. And then once they get to power, they legitimize all of these things and make them into state policy.
1: I want to zoom out a little bit for Trump, but because we're talking mm-hmm. about some of these aspects, maybe we'll we'll stick with it for a moment. Um, one of the uh, revelation. So I've said Donald Trump did not create racism or xenophobia, but he certainly was able to sort of coalesce it and and make a large group of people who had those ideas feel like they had a home, maybe be a little more comfortable publicly espousing some of these views. Similarly. It seems as though Donald Trump has also exposed some of the underlying authoritarian tendencies of the American right, although they claim to be very much about small government and sort of the libertarian esque ideals. They were very quick to sort of look the other way to Trump's authoritarian desires because they sort of were the type of authoritarianism that worked for them. Is that an accurate assessment in your mind?
7: Absolutely, and I think one of the, the strengths that I've had uh, to approach this is I'm not a, I'm not a specialist in American history. I'm a specialist in global history and propaganda, and so I came to to started writing about Donald Trump and the GOP in 2015 2016. So I trained this kind of global historical lens on our country. It's been very revealing. So one of the things I learned doing research for the book is that the GOP was actually already moving in this authoritarian direction. So they had already largely given up the idea of bipartisan governance and the idea of mutual toleration where you know you have <coughs> excuse me <coughs> you have an opponent and you maybe differ you don't uh, agree with them but you don't ask for them to be jailed or locked up. So Donald Trump took advantage of this and And since uh, 2016, there have been some comparative politics studies coming out, and they're really eye-opening that they place the GOP in the context of, like, world political parties. The GOP actually lines up for its rhetoric and its platforms with far-right parties, like Modi's party in India and Erdogan in Turkey. It doesn't line up with traditional conservative parties. so Donald Trump was a perfect match for this party and he almost he it's like he completed its transformation because he's such an extreme individual.
1: Is it surprising to you in a historical context how quickly the early opposition from within the Republican Party fell apart in the sense that if you think back, you know, Ted Cruz was attacking Donald Trump during the primary. Marco Rubio Rand Paul. Fox News was not with Donald Trump, but very quickly, with very few exceptions, you know, Mitt <laughs> Romney, John McCain, etc., They all fell in line. Is that common historically? This is one of,
7: it's so sad. I felt so sad for America writing this and thinking about this because it, you know, these extremists depend on uh, political leads to bring them in the system. And this is what the GOP did, people like Jeff Sessions, who in February, 2016, introduced Trump to a rally and Trump actually said, oh, I'm becoming mainstream. And I thought, oh my God, here it goes, right? The sad thing, and this applies to Fox News as well as uh, others, is once these um, these these kinds of authoritarian-minded rulers, everybody has to be used and discarded. Mm. So look what he's done with Fox News, which is really like a co-producer of his presidency. And there are elements in Fox News that are still defending his attempt to nullify the election results. Yeah, But they've turned against Fox News. And this is typical, that these early enablers often get thrown away and they're used and discarded like everybody else who comes into his orbit.
1: Can you talk so now zooming out a little bit? Can you talk a little bit about the typical playbook, the typical playbook and the process through which these strongmen have historically come to power? You've talked a little bit about the circumstances that are ripe for such a coming to power. But what is the process, uh, generally speaking?
7: So the, there's this playbook, and, and the core of the book, of these chapters on their tools of rule, propaganda, corruption, I added a corruption chapter, um, the myth of national greatness, and violence. And so once they come to, they can come to power in different ways. And so going over 100 years is really interesting, because you had fascist takeovers, you had military coups, and now you have this period where they come to power via elections. And then they manipulate elections to stay in power. So this is what Donald Trump has been trying to do. And it's very sad that over the time I wrote the book, several of these strongmen have consolidated their power. So Putin amended the Russian constitution so he can stay there until 2036. And Orban in Hungary rules by decree. And these are the people Trump admires. So this was his playbook um, from the start.
1: And when you um, look at when the playbook uh, stops working or when when thing let me let me rephrase what can change in a society uh, such that the society starts more strongly rejecting the strong man that at some point they were more welcoming of.
7: So historically, it's difficult to get rid of them. and in real fascist one-party states, it took, in both Italy and Germany, it took them getting bombed by the allies to start kind of fragmenting the personality cult. Um, so you need some kind of large disaster like a national health crisis. I'm, it's very um, sad but not surprising to me that Donald Trump received more votes In 2016, then in 2020, then 2016, despite criminal mismanagement of the pandemic. Yeah, and once they get their hold and they consolidate their personality cult, it's very difficult for people to um, peel away from it. And his achievement is all the um, more—it's all the more of a success because. You know, he didn't have total control of the media, and he didn't even have—he uh, didn't own <clears throat> own TV networks like Silvio Berlusconi in Italy. So I would never underestimate Trump. He's had an enormous success with what he's done.
1: Can you talk a little bit about um, the role that masculinity and ideas of masculinity, hypermasculinity, will will sometimes play for these strong men? And and specifically, I mean, one of the interesting things about Trump is in many ways, he really is not the image of masculinity. I mean, everything from he figured out a doctor's note to not go to Vietnam. And he's often you know, the way if it's raining or too hot, he regularly complains and cuts short his rallies. And yet the narrative is still one of Trump as the hyper masculine guy. You have Trump supporters who over the last day or two have been having a field day on Twitter because this musical artist Harry Styles wore a dress, Mm -hmm. which they find to be the opposite of masculinity. But but yet they're supporting a guy who's not really actually the image of masculinity does. So to what degree does it matter and how can someone who isn't even that actually claim to be it so successfully?
7: This is the this is the personality cut once they bond to him and they believe in him. He can, it's, he's like Teflon, you know, a Teflon figure, nothing sticks to him. But this was one of the surprising things in doing the research about the book, because the masculinity of the strongman is actually quite complex. On the one hand, they pose as the alpha males. And, and, you know, it's more understandable those who came to power through military coup or, you know, both Hitler and Mussolini had served in the military. Bolsonaro was in the, in, in uh, the military and he harks back to military dictatorship, Trump's a little different, and so his, again, his success is all the more um, astonishing because he, as you said, he, he never fought in the military, in fact, he's been very scornful in many ways of the military. But he still has this alpha male, and he knows how to play on that very well. But the other half of the strongman uh, masculinity is that, as you've noticed, they're always whining. They're always the victim. And this is really in contrast to traditional notions of virility where you're strong and silent, right? This is somebody who can't be quiet via Twitter, via, again, whining, whining. And this, however, works to their advantage because it makes people feel protective of him. So I've got a lot of quotes of people who say, I'd walk through a sea of COVID to save Donald Trump (laughs) because he's endangered. And this is why all of them have these victim complexes and victim cults. And so, even though Trump is leaving office, his victimhood cult will be more active than ever.
1: Yes, and that will be something we will have to sort of figure out uh, how how to contend with. The book is "Strongmen: Mussolini to the Present," and we've been speaking with the book's author, Ruth Ben-Ghiat. Uh, Ruth, congratulations on the book, and I so appreciate your time today.
7: Thank you for having me on
1: the David Pakman Show at DavidPacman.com. I want to let you know that our sponsor Vincero Watches is having a massive holiday sale on all of their products right now, and you can take advantage of it by going to slash watch A brand new high-quality wristwatch really is the perfect way to add something fresh to your style, whether it's for you or a gift for someone else. Vincero is a brand that has a serious dedication to the craft of watchmaking, which is really evident when you look closely at their watches. I wear Vincero watches myself lately. I've been wearing one from their icon automatic collection. It's the mesh matte black watch. And I love the sleek, minimalist design. Their watches are actually sold at a fair price. Their mission has always been to make a wristwatch from high-end materials but one that everyday people can afford, and that's why they have over 25,000 five-star reviews because you won't find a better-made watch for this great of a price anywhere else. You can get big holiday discounts on all of their products right now and free shipping when you go to davidpackman.com/watch. I've put the link in the podcast notes.
0: The David Pakman Show at David
1: OK, this is really great. I have another one of these moments of clarity on Fox News over which the Fox News audience attacks its own hosts. Now, I want to remind you, these segments are for entertainment purposes only uh, just because there's a moment of clarity on Fox doesn't mean Fox News is now a trustworthy news source. We're analyzing this sort of as a curiosity that is interesting because. Of the widely ranging circumstances on Fox since the election. On the one hand, you have Chris Wallace occasionally making sense. On the other hand, the nighttime opinion hosts are insisting Trump actually won because Joe Biden stole the election. And meanwhile, Trumpists are marching on Washington, D.C. and in Arizona chanting, Fox News sucks. So, this is for the curiosity of it. To I'm not trying to inculcate the idea that maybe we can trust Fox News. We can't. But let's look at this one clip. Here is reporter and host John Roberts interviewing Chris Wallace. John Roberts brings up this bizarre claim that even though Trump is losing the vote count, he's in some sense winning. And Chris Wallace is just having none of it.
2: May take some questions this afternoon. Obviously I imagine the first questions would be about where he is in terms of if he is going to continue to fight this battle to try to unearth new votes that could turn around the current vote count or if he will concede. The president does seem though in a way Chris to be winning even as he is losing in the current vote count because for his diehard fans he is trying to make the case that He didn't really lose the election, that it was taken from him. Is that an argument that he can credibly make?
3: Well, not in terms of the numbers, at least so far, unless we see something from these lawsuits that we haven't seen so far, which is uh, serious fraud and fraud of a dimension that it would actually overturn the results. He's not losing these states, for instance, Pennsylvania by 500 votes, like Florida in 2000. He's losing it by 40 or 50,000 votes. So unless we see fraud of that dimension, I don't know that he can credibly say that the election has been taken from him. But that doesn't mean he won't continue to make the argument. And as we know, uh, Donald Trump got more votes than any person in history running for president this year, except except for Joe Biden this year. So, uh, you know, there are tens of millions of people who who love this president, who are in the uh, Trump base. Uh, and, and I suspect they will be susceptible to the argument that somehow that this election was taken from them.
1: I like the use of the term susceptible by Chris Wallace. What he's really talking about is bamboozleable, right? Suggesting that there are people in Trump's base who, even though this is a bad argument will fall for, will be susceptible to Donald Trump's uh, argument that in some way he really did win. And that is true. Chris Wallace is right. The Trumpist is susceptible to it, as the polls show, 86 percent of Trump voters as of a few days ago believe that Joe Biden did not legitimately win the election. They are susceptible to it. About 60 percent of Trump voters believe. Not only did Biden not legitimately win, but Biden's not even going to be sworn in. If you look at that, the, the polling data we looked at, I believe it was last Thursday or Friday, Friday, 60 um, percent of Trump voters believe that what Donald Trump is doing, legal challenges and uh, you know whatever else, tweeting that it's eventually going to overturn the results of the election. So Chris Wallace is right. But Chris Wallace was getting killed for these comments. And what's stunning is that many Trumpists don't even really understand the numbers. And that's because Trump campaign people don't want to give them the numbers. We talked about this a little bit earlier in the show during the segment in which Fox host Leland Vittert and Trump communications staffer um, Aaron Aaron Perini Peroni Perini uh, were arguing in a state like Pennsylvania, for example, where Joe Biden won by 72000. Trump campaign people won't actually say our legal challenge that we put in writing is about 44000 votes. They'll never say that because whatever is the case with 44000 votes, even if we said every one of those votes is actually a Trump vote, um, Biden's winning by 72000 votes. You often hear Rudy Giuliani and others say 700000 votes appeared. Or disappeared, or whatever. They're talking about the fact that early on election night, Trump was up by several hundred thousand in Pennsylvania. And ultimately, as expected, we talked about the Red Mirage scenario. Eventually, um, the numbers reversed. And as mail in ballots were counted and those disproportionately went for Joe Biden, the lead shrank and shrank and shrank. And eventually it stopped being a lead for Donald Trump. It became a deficit for Donald Trump. So when Trumpists hear these campaign people talking about hundreds of thousands of votes, they think, wow, that's enough to flip the election. The reality is that in court, and we'll see if reportedly Rudy Giuliani today is going to actually start representing Trump in court, which sounds hilarious maybe he'll present something different. But so far in court, they are talking about small batches of votes where even if the complaints went somewhere and even if every so-called contested ballot became a Trump ballot, it still would not overturn the results in any state, never mind in enough states to flip this election from Joe Biden to Donald Trump. They won't tell you that let's now continue our discussion. And this is something I've been looking forward to to talking about for a few days now. Let's talk about how Fox News has out has radicalized itself into a problem with Trumpists. Okay, that's that's my next story. I think you're going to find this very interesting. Over the weekend, there was a so-called Million Maga March in Washington, D.C., I guess in support of Donald Trump, losing. I don't even know. I, I guess to make the case that Donald Trump actually won, it's very unclear what they were arguing. But despite Donald Trump's press secretary, Kaylee McKenney claiming on Twitter that there were more than a million people there, a more realistic estimate is like 80,000, maybe 100,000 people, still a lot of people, but um, not a million. And Fox News covered this March. And as they are covering the march and doing an interview, a pro Trump protester, holding up a sign so vile and so disgusting popped up on screen. And you actually hear the Fox News anchor pause when it pops up and mention the the sign. This is Fox anchor Eric Sean. You will hear him uh, uh, sort of sort of it gives him pause when the sign comes up. The sign for those who aren't watching says coming for blacks and Indians first. Welcome to the new world order. Take a look. Take a listen to this
2: party. I've talked to Republican Party leaders about this. I've said to them, you're going to be in office a long time after President Trump is the Republican Party is going to long outlast all of us. Uh, aren't you concerned about that? So so that's what uh, somebody's going to have to convince the president of the president isn't a long term thinker. They're going to have to convince him that it is in his own interest. And that is what he responds to. Like What is in his just, interest uh, to uh, just say we uh, just saw
3: ahead, very, we, we just face. saw a very disturbing sign. It said coming for blacks and Indians welcome to the new world order. I mean, who the hell knows, you know, what type of, what people have
1: and what they say on, on these things. But what do the Republicans tell you? So first of all, that really is the type of stuff that was running rampant at this absolutely vile event. Now, you know what I'm going to say, right? OK, the sign was sick enough for the Fox anchor to mention it but not sick enough for it to be denounced. He reports on the sign like you would mention. Oh, there there's a food cart. Hold on. Hold on a second. Hold on a second, Ted. There's a food cart offering two for one pretzels during the rally that that's quite an aggressive sale. It's very matter of fact. The sign is coming for blacks and Indians first. That's the sign. And you don't denounce it. The only upside I can think of, is that Republicans and these Trumpists are being more honest and upfront now with their beliefs right they're They're just saying it out loud right on their sign instead of pretending that this is not all just racism and xenophobia and hate. So it's a little bit more transparency. I will give them that. And if you go over to the new enclave of the pro Trump right on the Internet, it's called parlor. It's filled with this stuff. They've gone, you know, full mask off. Figuratively and literally, given the pandemic, they've gone full mask off on parlor. It is everywhere. But I would go even further. Let me go back to the Fox News thing for a second. Fox News anchor Eric Sean sees a sign that's wacky. It's wacky enough to mention it, but apparently it's not wacky enough for him to denounce it. Understand that Fox News is partially to blame. For whipping people up to the point where they're willing to be seen in public with such a sign. Fox did not create racism. Trump did not create racism, but they've whipped it up and fired people up and coalesced them. And Fox should really own this behavior. Understand I I would call it irony, but it feels like if you call it irony, it's not serious enough. Fox News has been lying to people for so long that Trump supporters are now thinking even Fox News has become a liberal enemy. That's how dumb the country has gotten. This is the natural end result. Fox News has radicalized its viewers to such a degree that they are now too radical to even watch Fox News, at least during the day. I guess they still find some comfort in the evening hours. Understand that. Think about that to understand how depraved this situation has become. We have a voicemail number. That number is two one nine two DavidP. David P. We haven't heard from the Eggman for a while. He is furious that I indicated yesterday that apple pie is not very good. Take a listen.
0: Hi, Dave. Um, There's been a couple things I've disagreed with you, maybe like hate crime enhancements and the death penalty. And I've actually been won over on almost both of those almost Mm -hmm. totally by you. But Dave, saying apple pie is junk is just ridiculous. It's really the only good pie. It's actually the only sweet pie, unless unless you consider chocolate cream pie an actual pie, which it's not. So you got what berries if what kind what do you put in your pie if it's not apple?
1: This is sad. If,
0: I, I can't get on board with that. You're disgusting for saying apple pie is, is, is not good.
1: So um, I mean, listen, I'm glad to entertain any serious conversation. but you know, entertaining the idea that that pie is good or particular apple pie is good. If you want to talk about serious, serious desserts, if you want to come to me and talk about flan, if you want to have a serious adjudication of tiramisu, chocolate babka, pistachio baklava, um, you know, a sort of molten warm chocolate uh, chocolate cake. uh, We will do that on this program. But, you know, starting to platform the idea that apple pie is good. I'm just not going to do it. And what you're going to write to me, you're going to write to me and tell me, Oh, you heat it up and then you put vanilla ice cream on it. Get the hell out of here. We're not, this is not the show for that. There are plenty of shows out there, I'm sure, couldn't tell you which ones they are. Where if you're looking for Pie Apologia, you can find it, but not on this program. We've got a great bonus show for you. I won't even tell you what's on it. Just trust me, it's a good one. Get instant access by becoming a member at joinpacman.com.